0: self-care. I'm holding on to this self-care with every ounce of me. (laughs) Join us as we journey through sharing together. So I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you can wind down on this Sunday with some self-healing from one of your favorite Hey Girl episodes featuring Melinda. She is an educator, a mother, an activist, a wonderful human being. And while I'm out of the studio on maternity leave, we wanted to give you guys your favorite episodes from Hey Girl so far. So wind down, take a bath, have some wine, and in, or tea, <laughs> and enjoy this episode. This is Melinda on self-healing. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> it's so good to have you on the show. I'm glad that you agreed to, to chat with me today. How have you been? Uh a hard question.
1: I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there giving everything that's going on in the world right now.
0: Yeah, it's um it's a lot. So I just want to jump in to our to our chat. For everyone who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you just give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Sure.
1: Um, I do a lot of things. I don't exactly have my elevator pitch down.
0: <laughs> no need for a pitch. Uh, just rattle them um, off.
1: <laughs> right. So who am I? I grew up in L.A. My parents are longtime community organizers and civil rights organizers full time. That's what they do for a living since the 60s. So I grew up in a very what we now call woke, (laughs) but (laughs) politicized and specifically anti-racist home. And that was kind of the focus of our lives since as long as I can remember. And I kind of took that on into my own personal and professional and educational work. My undergrad and grad school and even my teaching credential were all focused in art and social justice. And then I became a classroom teacher in public schools for a while. And that, too, was very focused on kind of social justice and art And then a lot of real things happened in my personal life all at the same time. I had a baby Mm -hmm. and I simultaneously had a really violent divorce Mm -hmm. and I lost my job. And so all within the same few months, my whole existence kind of got turned upside down Mm -hmm. and it shifted my focus, obviously, to healing and to myself a little bit more and to a lot of self-discovery and a lot of self-healing and honestly a lot of feminism. I feel like both the mothering thing was such a glaring analysis Mm -hmm. of of feminism and, and patriarchy and what was expected of me as a mother and a single mother and then even the losing my job. I feel like I lost my job because I had my son Mm. And I, w- I wasn't able to stay late and be unfiltered and unavailable at in- in- any time. Right. And then my marriage was just riddled with oppression, really. Mm-hmm. And so looking at all of that with the fine tooth comb and looking at the violence with the fine tooth comb and the violence against women, it just really shifted my focus, not away from race so much, but it overlapped now with you know, racial justice and justice for women. So that's kind of how I ended up working on what I'm working with with now, which is creating spaces for women to unpack a lot of that stuff around being a woman and all the things that that includes from motherhood to violence, to our bodies, to, you know, relationships and all that.
0: That's that's a lot. And I love it. That's great. Because I have so many talking points written down. I discovered your work on Instagram through my friend, Denicio, a while back and like years back. And I was captivated by your truth telling and your storytelling and your ability to dive deep into your truth and share it. And I feel like a lot of times being as though social media is this huge hurrah right now. People aren't using their platforms to really connect and build community. And I I was extremely taken by your ability to do that. So with that being said, I would love to chat with you about motherhood and if you're comfortable, your divorce and how that not only shaped you as a mother and a single mother, but has given you the opportunity to make space for women to come And unpack and be in these safe and sacred spaces that you've curated for them since your life shift?
1: You know, there are no accidents, but it felt like an accident. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get on Instagram as a brand or with any particular intention. I was actually doing some styling work at the time. Mm -hmm. I've always had a background on kind of my, just my hobby as being a stylish person who loved fashion. And so when I lost my job, I was trying to figure out ways to make money. And so I didn't get on Instagram with really any intention of um, being a healer or or any of, you know, doing women's work or anything. Right. Or maybe there was some intention, but I I was navigating and I really didn't know what I was doing. I just was like being in the world. And it did. It, it grew out of, honestly, in the beginning, it was completely selfish. It was my own need to heal and process. And I was so isolated as a single mother. And most of my friends do not have children. I know a lot of women who have kids, but no one in my immediate circle had kids. Right. And so I just felt I wasn't even seeking. You know, Instagram was pretty new then. I, I thought I was on the late bus, but, you know, I don't even know, to be honest, how long I've been. I want to say four years ago, but there were definitely people that were already had wait. I was still like lingering on Facebook, trying to make sense of
0: that. <laughs> like, where is everybody? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: and people were like, girl, come over to Instagram. I haven't checked my Facebook messages in years. So I was a little late to Instagram, but so I didn't know at that time it it wasn't such a tool as I feel like it is now. Right. Now it's like, find your people, you mm-hmm. know? I wasn't really seeking anybody out. I was just almost using it as like a journal or a blog. Same. Yeah. At the time, my ex-husband was actually still in prison for what happened. And so I felt really, it was the first time because he wasn't, it took a year for him to actually end up there. And so that during that time, I wasn't on social media because I felt very vulnerable.
0: Of course. Um,
1: And then when he was actually in prison, I felt safe to start doing some healing work publicly and to start sharing some of my story. That's kind of how it started is I was just like processing out loud and the amount of women who reflected back to me some part of my story that resonated with them and that they needed to do some healing work around just like kept growing and people just kept saying like, wow, this really is hitting home with me or I've never thought about it that way. And, and it motivated me to keep going because I felt like, again, even though it came initially out of my own need for healing, I realized how much healing as we needed to do as a collective. I had always been doing gatherings. I'm just a naturally social person and mm-hmm. I grew up in Los Angeles, so I know a lot of people I've been here, you know, on and off my whole life. And so I was having a lot of in-person things, you know, basically as I, since I lost my job and I I haven't gone back to, you know, working for anyone else since then. So I was kind of hustling, but I was also at that time living off unemployment. When unemployment ended, I got some, you know, food stamps, which doesn't float you, but I was basically piecing it together. And simultaneously though, taking advantage of I knew I couldn't go back to work. I was like, there is no way as a single mother with <laughs> right. all this shit in my pot, on my lap right. and on, in in my mind, like i already am the type of person who carries a lot. I just carry a lot on my heart and in my body and on my soul. I just came to earth that way. And so layering on top of that, all the things that happened, I knew that it was my time to really like look at all this stuff and I could shove it away and, you know, go to the club and smoke a lot of weed and be that mom. Mm -hmm. Or I could just like really sit in solitude and look at the stuff that the universe was telling me I needed to look at. And so I chose not to even seek out unemployment. And I took my healing like it was a job. Wow. I really sought out I I just told the universe, I said, send me the healers, send me all of them. I don't care what, I don't need to understand what they're doing. (laughs) I don't need to care. I don't care what religion you are. Right. You know, you can come do some Santeria on me. I don't do it. I'll take it. It, and, And it worked. Like I would meet people in parking lots that were just like putting their hands on me and like blessing me and asking me if I wanted to come do X, Y, and Z Reiki, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing all the Mm healings. I was like, give me the crystals, give me the oils, (laughs) give me the Reiki, give me the shamans, give me the uh, Jesus. I don't care. Bless me, all of (laughs) y'all.
0: Everything. Because
1: (laughs) there is no such thing as too much healing and I need it.
0: Right. I love that.
1: And then as that was happening, I felt called to share it because I was like, whoa, that was really profound and I don't feel like people know about this and that women know about this. And so That's kind of how my workshop started was just like sharing as I learned things. And I continue to do that, whether it's vaginal steaming or somatic coaching or womb circles or whatever the things are that have helped in my healing journey. I've just been called to just share them with my network.
0: So with your background as being an educator and someone who's been in the classroom, how have you been able to take that work and relay it to not only your personal life, but transforming it into education for adult women and building these sacred spaces, not only while being a single mother, but navigating that space of healing and not, you know, slipping back into old habits. Because as healing happens, you know, hurt can still seep in. I know with me personally, that is definitely something that I've struggled with. So how have you been able to keep one foot forward outside of the classroom now it's been it's been years and and using your tools as an educator to really get into the community of women and do that work
1: I think that's the best thing about teaching is you're learning as you're teaching and right. it holds you accountable you know you probably feel this way too and sometimes it feels like a burden but I think in the grand scheme of things it's a blessing that so many people are watching like my healing and my if we made me cry but my mm. like my, my victory, so to speak, is not just about me, right? There's a lot of people who are broken who need to see that we can come out the other side. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean that my journey has not been riddled with, you know, hiccups and moments of, you know, one of my favorite memes is that healing isn't linear meme, I just, right. when I saw that, I just like burst it out into tears because I think when you're on a healing journey, you think it's just supposed to keep getting better and better and better, Right. but that's not how it works. You know, the deeper you go, the more things come up and trauma is a real, real thing. And yep. I think we have love trauma. I think we have parental and family and physical and violent, I mean, all the traumas. And then if you add, you know, racial trauma, to what most women of color are just living with, whether they have identified it as that or not. Right. I think it's not, it's not a linear progress, you know? And when I remember I would have moments of real backsliding mm-hmm. of anger and pain, and I would be so mad at myself. Like, mm-hmm. how dare you go back to that place? Right. And then I realized, like, I needed to go back to that place because it wasn't healed yet. hmm And again, in terms of the accountability that I could like, there was no tapping out for me. I knew that it was like, here we go. This is it. I've always kind of been a head in the game kind of person. And I've always been a champion. Like, it's just who I am. I came here to to win. And when that chain of events happened and I felt like I lost, I just felt like, are you kidding me? Like not to be a snob, but I had put a lot of investment into being successful.
0: Right, right.
1: And... You know, I had a master's degree from NYU. Like, I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do mm. to win, mm. and I felt like I'm at the county
0: line, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And not to
1: judge people who were in the county line, it's, but it's a humbling place to yeah. be. And so but I knew, I knew I was going to, I called myself to come back Cause I just, I knew I was coming back. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what it was going to look like or how I was going to get there. And so it's just been this really organic process since then. And in terms of the teaching component, you know, I don't, I never even really made the connections that what I'm doing now is teaching mm-hmm. until I was You know, thumbing through, I'm a very nostalgic person and I keep everything. And I was thumbing through some old papers I had written in grad school. And I think I posted one of them on Instagram. And I just was saying that I missed her. I missed the scholarly Melinda and the academic Melinda and the teacher. And someone said, who I value a lot, you know, you were once in the universities and you were once in the classrooms. And now you're in the streets and now you're teaching, you know, you're still teaching. You're just teaching the people and you're teaching the women in a different way. And, you know, teaching even children is a very, there's a lot of different opinions about how we do that. But I don't feel like I was teaching them from a place of my wisdom or my knowledge as right. much as facilitating their own discovery. Mm. and I think, and I hope that that's come how I come across in the work that I do now is like I'm not an expert. This is simply my
0: experience, um,
1: and- my experience, mm-hmm. and and luckily because of the way that I write and the way that I share, I think it does become a facilitating thing with other women, like awakening something in them to facilitate their own healing. Because most of these women, I do do workshops, and I have a lot of online workshops and women that I work with. So I'm working with like 75 women right now on a regular basis. Wow. But there's, you know, 30,000 women who are listening and I'm not working with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And I do some personal calls, but a lot of the healing, you know, you can kind of do on your own. If, you know, I did it on my own. I guess I had those healers, but I wasn't like closely working with anyone. I was just allowing them to kind of give me tools that I could go there back and work with on my own.
0: I really love that you said that you were feeling nostalgic and you flipped through, you know, the old Melinda days. I had a young woman reach out to me and say that sometimes she just feels like she can't get ahead, even though on paper she's ahead. I just really love that you said that because so many women feel that way, or so many women feel as though We've done X, Y, and Z, we're doing things the right way or the way that society says that we should be doing them. And then we hit these roadblocks. And then it's like, how do we get over these roadblocks? And the fact that you were able to circumnavigate that and not only get over the roadblocks, but facilitate teaching and community in that whole mix is just, is fascinating. And it's wonderful to me because that's what healing is all about. Right. It's about getting over those roadblocks, even if you trip on the way or even if you end up backsliding on the way. Just tackling those roadblocks is something that, you know, it's not easy to do. And it's so admirable when I come across women who are doing the work and sharing the work that they're doing. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. That was a that was huge for me to hear. Next, I have so many things here I want to like, want to, I want to <laughs> touch on. So raising a child of color, your son is biracial, right? Uh-huh. And he's so beautiful from what you've shared on social media. I would love to talk to you about being a white woman, raising a child of color and how that works for you as a single mother, because I know that there are a bunch of women who who listen to this show who are not women of color and who have kids of color. So Mm -hmm. I think that it could be really awesome for them to hear from someone who is really into the work of not only herself, but an ally of people of color and who was raised in a home where, you know, social justice was prevalent I would love to hear, you know, how how you navigate that space of raising a child of color.
1: It's tricky, you know. No, it's <laughs> tricky. I definitely don't feel like I'm the expert on that. One thing that I think is important to note is I was committed to racial, you know, work and racial and race liberation mm-hmm. politics stuff long before I had a black son. And so even the white women that are listening that don't have biracial children, I think it's important and, you know, there's this all this stuff around this word ally, but I think it's important for all women, all people, but we're speaking specifically to women, you know, to be invested in the liberation of people of color, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they think they have a personal investment in it or not. Like, I'm not doing this work because my son is Black. Is mm-hmm. it heightened because Black boys' lives are in, specifically in danger? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I'd be just as angry. I might not be as scared Mm. because I wouldn't be so worried about losing my own son, Right. but I would be just as angry. And I was just as angry. Like I was, you know, burning down shit in college around affirmative action long before, you know, my son was born. Mm -hmm. So white women, and we can, you know, they can come to Instagram and find me there (laughs) to talk about it. But white women are specifically right now being called to action and I just want to say that's in some ways even more so if you're if you if you have a white son,
0: mm. we
1: need you we need you to get it together even more than if you have a black son mm. because the white men and that we are raising and and white women also, but you know, white children that we are raising, we need to be teaching them and politicizing them mm. just as much, if not more so, than our biracial children. Mm. So just saying that as a disclaimer. thank you and then you know i don't really raise my son is like yes he is biracial but i he identifies as a black boy and that is how i identify him he actually has a shirt that my girlfriend made that says mixed with african because um (laughs) you know there's this whole so one tip for white women who have biracial children is please stop hashtagging biracial children swirl mixed kids it's just really in my opinion offensive Mm. to kind of glorify the nature of mixed children you know I I have a lot of friends who are mixed and I know some people who even work specifically with you know stuff around mixed culture and I think when it's multiple cultures of color yeah that's a very different thing Mm -hmm. you know obviously please identify and learn about your Asian and you know Afro-Latino background and all that but It's a different thing when it's mixed with white and just to be careful about, you know, fetishizing mixed children, I think is another like area of sensitivity for me. And then in terms of how I raise him, you know, it's a very, it's hard. It's a delicate balance between wanting him to know and celebrate his blackness and understand and be prepared and equipped for what's happening in the world Mm -hmm again, I grew up in a very no holds barred family. And we talked about everything. And we talked about race very young, and it was heavy for me. And I was already, again, you know, an empath and a a heavy emotional child. And so it did weigh heavily on me. But I also wouldn't have changed that. I think it, it made me who I was. And it made me able to see the world pretty clearly at a young age. And so in general, I do believe with And being honest, especially as they get older and they're school aged and they're going to be hearing things and seeing things, whether you give it to them or not. And I would rather my son feel safe having discussions and asking questions with me and me giving him the framework to understand the world than his teacher who might be well-intentioned but not that educated on this kind of thing Mm -hmm. or a classmate or a, a parent of another child. So I think I lean towards the giving my son the real deal, but you know, he's a sensitive kid like I was, and I could tell that it it scares him and it feels heavy for him. And so at this moment, I'm actually leaning back towards the other side of black boy joy and just letting him be innocent and happy. Mm. And he doesn't need to know about You know, Charlottesville. He knows about all the other black boys that got killed in the last few years. Right. You know, our mutual friend Brandy writes a lot and talks a lot about protecting black boys and their innocence and their joy Mm -hmm. while still being honest. Right. And so, one other tip I think for white mothers is look to black women, like who are raising black children. Like, we, that's where you get your guidance. And how are they raising them? How are they balancing that that again, that delicate intersection of truth and consciousness, protection and innocent and safety for our children? And then just one other thing that popped in my head was, you know, I listened to Tan Coates, The Between the World and Me mm-hmm. on audio tape. Yeah partially because I'm a working mom and I don't really like have lots of time to sit and read books uninterrupted <laughs> but of all the audio thing I don't know about if you do it through audible but if you actually buy it the CD it's it's read by Tanahasi. Oh, so wow. it it and his voice is so poetic and just poignant it like gives me chills and I listen to it in the car with my son even though you know he's six and I think a lot of it probably went over his head right. but It's a book specifically written to his black son, who's a teenager, but it talks so much just about the complexity, I think, of the black male experience in a way that I can't even begin to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so he, again, he would, sometimes he would ask questions and I didn't even preface it. Like, we're going to listen to this and you need to listen. It was just on. And he would, but he would say like, mom, can you play that thing? Or mom, can you turn it up? Or he would ask me a question and I could just tell he was, like, soothed by it in some ways. And so if you have specifically a Black son, but, uh, you know, a Black child, whether you're biracial, whether they're biracial or not, I just would really recommend, you know, it's a personal choice. Again, some mothers, and I understand that about protecting their children. Again, I understand it more for children of color than I do for white children, I feel like you can choose what age you feel is appropriate, but at some point you got to talk to your kids about race. Right. I speak with such conviction, but the truth is, is I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I mean, I'm really just winging it. And if it feels like it's too much, or if it feels like, you know, I did that wrong. Or if I read an article by someone and I'm like, woo, I, you know, I didn't even think about that right. or I got that wrong, or I should shut up on this. Mm. It's clearly. I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So don't look to me as an expert, as much as someone who much like my healing journey, I'm just willing to get messy and I'm willing to constantly engage in the work. And I think both in motherhood, even racial stuff aside, I'm constantly engaging in stuff around motherhood and how I can be a better mother to him and how I can parent him in a way that is good for me to where I can survive this because, Mm. you know, I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want to like give my whole life to raising this kid and then I'm just burnt out and mm. tired and so it's all an experiment and it's all about navigating a lot of things that we don't have manuals on we yeah. don't have manuals really on how to be mothers there's there can't there are books on it but it is such books. a personalized experience right right that you that book is not about my kid right and it's not about me and so I can look to it for some reference but generally I'm just you know I'm winging it
0: yeah. No, I feel you on that. And I think that because of the work that you and I are in and a lot of the women that we know we're in, people kind of look to us as, as experts and as these quote unquote gurus. And it can be very tricky because for me personally, not only am I not a guru or an expert, I'm simply sharing my story and what has worked for me and my family and my healing, but also I really want people to start understanding that this transformation here has taken a lot of work and I've put in the work. So when people ask these questions, you know, very deep and weighted questions, which I know people want answers, but the mm. the biggest answer that I can give someone is, you have to do the work.
1: Do the work, yep, it's my favorite saying, do the work, you gotta do it. And people are like, what
0: is the work? They don't the start, you know? And that's, it's tricky <laughs> to answer because you're like, I don't know what your work is gonna exactly. be. Exactly. Find the millions of students, including myself, already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free when you use my code. That's right. Skillshare is offering Hey Girl listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Hey Girl to start your two months now. You will not regret it. Skillshare.com slash Hey Girl.
1: I just think therapy of some variety, and it doesn't have to be therapy, though. I, I would advocate for everyone finding a great therapist, mm-hmm. but feeling like you have some support that's not just your your homegirl or your mom mm-hmm. or, you know, because people don't always show up the way we need them to. And then mm. we feel disappointed. Then you add disappointment to all the other feelings you were having. And so having someone outside of your immediate life to support you on, on your journey, I think is important because it's, it's hard work, man. It really is hard work. And, and also surrounding yourself, whether it's online or in person with other people who are on the journey, everyone who is, when I lost my, like when, when things really hit the fan, I use that as an opportunity. Honestly, I feel like I, I have so many tattoos in the last few years of Mm -hmm. all these different momentous moments, but Mm -hmm. I have a tattoo on my back of a 31, Because that was the year that I felt like I was, my son was born when I was 30 and everything happened in that year. And 31 was like my birthday. I feel like I was reborn that year. And I used all the things that happened as an opportunity to really restart my life because the friends that I had at the time, you know, were lingering from high school and, you know, just regular, you know, nothing terribly wrong with them, but they were not, you know, on this path. Right. And so... I kind of cleared the slate and I, I needed to, I didn't have a choice. It wasn't even that intentional. It was just like, I cannot be around that anymore. And I manifested somehow in my own, you know, they say that you kind of attract like minds and I was doing this work. And so I would go to workshops and then I would really click with someone or some old friend that for whatever reason, timing never really, Worked out for us to be close or mm-hmm. spent a lot of time together. Suddenly, we were spending a lot of time together because I was in a different headspace than I had been prior to that. And I don't think ultimately that those people were that attracted to me. I was very, I don't, I can't even, I don't even know. I, I don't want to judge that version of me, right? But I was in a different place. Mm-hmm. And so, the people that I have in my life now probably didn't really want to be around that woman. And that woman wasn't calling those kind of people in. And so, You know, I do one of my workshops online is called They Get Better When You Do. Mm. And it's mainly about love. But I think that that is also relevant to our children. Yep. That as we heal, they heal. And also our, you know, social circles and even our family. But like, as you get better, the people around you get better. And that is both from a vibrational standpoint that you can vibrate your healing out to the people around you. But also that we attract better people when we're in a better place.
0: Mm, I love that. I'm I'm writing all these little gems down because on the Hey Girl Podcast Instagram, I, I like to put up the, the little pink uh, mm. quote squares, and I'm like, listen, everybody needs to see this and this <laughs> and this before I'm they hear this show. Quote. Ah, man, I love it. So I want to talk about love because you mentioned love when you said they get better when you do. Love after divorce, love after dysfunctional relationships. I see that you have a love. You wrote this post maybe a couple weeks ago or a week ago about how you've been trying not to, you've been quiet about your love because you don't want to romanticize it too much for the internet, right? Because that's a thing Uh that people do. And Uh one, I want to talk about that. And two, I want to talk about... You arriving at a place of I am ready to love again and not because I necessarily need that love, but because I've done the work to love myself. And now I have this possibility of my partner complimenting me in a way that has never been done before. Mm -hmm. So I want to I want to touch on that. You know, you don't have to get too personal, but a lot of women want to know how to love after loss how to love after dysfunction how to not slip back into old habits of abuse and dysfunction so Mm. i would love to chat with you about that
1: yeah i mean it's my favorite thing to talk about (laughs) i started the workshop because i was like i'm gonna blow up your feed with love thoughts (laughs) but i have a lot of them and i feel like I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I do feel like I'm a specialist. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been in love my whole life. Mm. Like my my husband was a blimp on the radar. It it went wrong, Mm -hmm. but he is not the only relationship I've been in. I've had so many other long-term like teachable relationships and lessons. And to be honest, all in all, I've had a lot of beautiful love in my life. Mm -hmm. Even that relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, it went bad because, of a lot of things that, you know, I think I'm, I, I played my part in it, but I would say over, all in all, it was his dysfunction on things he couldn't control, like right. his illness that is, you know, and I, on another time, we could talk about loving people with mental illness mm-hmm. and, and how you need to know when you've done as much as you can. Mm. And when you now need to let them go and and do that healing on their own, all in all, I would say, love is a perfect area where you got to do the work. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women want, look, everybody wants to be light and healed and blah, blah. And everyone wants to be in love with the
0: Ryan. Okay. (laughs) But Ryan is a handful. First of all,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but see, that's the thing. Yeah. All they see is like his long hair and how he holds you and he kisses you on the forehead. And they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh,
0: I to want me that Ryan.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure I thought that subconsciously <laughs> back in the day, like, ugh, Alex, I can't even look at her. <laughs> <of> stupid love. <laughs> Especially because you were a single mother. So then that's every single mother's dream, right? Mm. Like, Oh, where is he? he's going to come and he's going to raise my child with me and all that. Mm. And so as much as I thought I knew about love and as much as I thought I knew about myself, I realized very clearly the patterns that I kept repeating mm. and like the glaring thing about each person. I never repeated that. So if that one drank too much, I never dated anybody else who drank a lot. If that one was kind of, you know, too controlling, I never dated anyone who was too controlling. Right. Again. So I was paying attention, but I wasn't paying enough attention to my role in things and why I kept seeking out the same kind of, you know, really validation. And that's Mm. what, what prompted me on the whole self love journey is, and it wasn't these guys fault, but I was seeking out the kind of guy who was over the top in love with me. And I really could not settle for anything less. Mm. And unfortunately in just the way it tends to work is those do tend to be the more controlling and jealous and abusive types, the ones who just can't. And if they're not, then you still have this unhealthy codependency. And so I had a lot of codependency in my relationships And that's just what I thought it was supposed to be like. And I never really looked at it. And I just kept repeating that same pattern and the heartbreak would feel so familiar, you know, and, and I had a lot to do with it. And that was the exploration is what am I doing here? Not even what am I doing wrong, but why am I, what am I needing? What am I longing for? Why am I seeking this out? And how can I heal that part of me? Right that to where I'm not, I don't need that level of validation anymore. And I don't need that level of codependency where I can heal my own pain. And that's something that I still struggle with in this relationship is, Mm. and that's what I'm kind of trying to tell people is yes, he's wonderful. And yes, this is, you know, this great turn of events in this love story, but all the things that I was sitting with that hurt, they still hurt. Yeah, He did not because I'm not codependent on him. I'm not telling him, please come and fix my life. And save me. Right. And then when he can't, I'm like blaming him. Right. Whereas I needed to tell him, look, I'm broken and he's broken too. You know, we're both divorcees. Mm. And so, and he's even newer, newly -er divorced than I am. And so we're constantly coming up against things that are like, whoa, this is not even about us. This is about our old loves and we need to be able to identify that. and like heal it together, but also kind of go, you know, luckily I kind of live in a big house. There's a lot of different rooms and it's like, I'm going to go in my room and process that about you. right? And so in terms of how to call in love and how to get to a place where you feel like you can do it again, I think it's one more reason to do the self work because a lot of women that want, where is he? Where is he? And it's like, they, they really just think I'm the bomb and I deserve a bomb dude. And that's just, it's like a math problem, but Mm -hmm. it's like, Okay, but have you really looked at have you really looked like weeped and cried not just over the dude that you broke your heart, right, but about what did you learn about yourself, not about him.
0: Mm.
1: Yes, you need you know, we need to know what to look for and what not, you know, what to be aware of and and, and what to steer clear of and other people, but right. really it's like why was I why did I even want that? Mm. And that's the kind of stuff we talk about in my workshop is what are the patterns? Really, a lot of it comes from our childhood and our parents, how we saw our parents and our mothers, how, what was their relationship to love and men, or, you know, I'm not assuming that everyone's parents or that even everyone now is heterosexual, but what was our, what were our mother's relationships to their partners or to love and what were their expectations and what were their needs and how do we, you know, subconsciously take those things on? You know, it's always a risk, but I really believe, you know, one of the other things I tell a lot of my you know, clients and the women in my workshops is I'm a big proponent. Yes, absolutely. Take time to be alone, be uncomfortable in your solitude, learn how to masturbate, do all the things that being alone require. Right. But also, I, I, I don't know. I believe in dating a lot. Go figure it out. Make a bunch of mistakes. And the key is not showing up to every date, praying that this is your best forever. forever. Right. You know, go on a date and be like, oh, I really did not like when he said that thing that triggered this other thing. Now I'm going to go home and sit with that thing that he triggered mm-hmm. or wow, he's so sweet and I like him so much. And I, and I am doing the last name thing already. And what does that mean about me that? I, that I need to look at that. I really am like longing too much for a partner so much to where I'm not even listening to what he's saying because Mm. I'm already making him into my husband. Mm. And so some people spend 10 years not dating thinking that's doing the work. Mm-mm. but then the second you get in a relationship, you don't know how to act. You're like, Oh my God, what, what right. is this? And I, this is still here. I thought this was gone. Right.
0: Like right. I've
1: done all this work and I am still triggered in this relationship on things that I thought I healed that clearly I did not.
0: Man. I but mean, the
1: only way that I would have known that is by being in the damn relationship. In the I first could not place. have right. seen that right. in my
0: solitude. Right. No, you're right. And it's so crazy that you say that too, because I mean, Ryan and I, we've been married for a year now. We're, we're new. We're still newlyweds and we're still, Figuring it out. We're still figuring each other out. We are still trying our best to not only meet each other where we are um, as individuals, but also love each other for where we are in this moment. And I always tell people, this is not goals, y'all. This is work. And I know Mm -hmm. that people mean goals in the cutest, you know, most loving way possible, but it's like, y'all, this is, this is hard Work being in a committed monogamous relationship with someone who I said till death do us part with is hard mm-hmm. as shit, it's not easy. And if you want this, you have to do the work not only to attract the mate that you want, but to arrive at yourself in the way that you feel safe without outside influences and that you can really just hone in on the fact that healing happens and you don't need someone else in order to make that healing happen. I think a lot of women feel like, you know, we, and I know I've been guilty of this. We have to, we have to lean on a man to give us validation, to, to, to give us love. And really we have to go deep within ourselves and do that introspective work. And it's uncomfortable, like you said, but doing the work, they get better when you do, just like you said. So I, I love that. Honestly, it's the
1: best investment of time I've ever spent. When I think about the dudes that I've bent over backwards for, and I'm like reading books about what they need to do. And (laughs) you know, like one of the, I I will say one of the most beautiful things my ex-husband ever said to me is because I was practicing Buddhism when we met, but barely, Mm -hmm. like it was kind of, uh, you know, we, whatever. It was the beginning of, it was simultaneous kind of. And I was like, Ooh, this, everything reminded me of him because he had such mental illness and Buddhism is so much about the mind that I was like, you need to do this and you need to do Mm -hmm. that. And I was highlighting everything and putting his name next to him. You know, I was barely looking at it for myself. Mm -hmm. I really was like, and he said, you need to practice Buddhism for yourself. Mm -hmm. This is not about me. Like, don't try and heal me or you're going to miss the whole thing. I was like, That's a very good point. Why am I so focused on healing you that I'm not even looking? And honestly, I think I still, even though we said that I wasn't able because my relationship was so dysfunctional and I was trying so hard to save it. And, and I knew that saving it meant saving him Mm. the whole time we were married. I I was practicing, but I was practicing to try and save him. Mm. And it wasn't until the marriage was for sure over that I was able to to turn that practice into my own reflection and my own self-growth. And that again was the best investment because now it doesn't matter who I'm in love with. If this relationship that I'm in right now does not work out, I'll be okay. Mm. Because I have put in so much investment and time and love and understanding to who I am and who I'm not that no man, you know, no job, no man, no friend mm defines me anymore because I am very, you know, I am invested in myself and I know myself and we have a very strong relationship. (laughs) And that to me is what self-love is. It's not just about, you know, a lot of the the shallow and and like superficial things that we see on social media, but it's about like really knowing who you are. And because I've listened to your podcast, can I skip ahead? And when you're going to ask me what the self-love, I mean, I was just about (laughs) to
0: say, yes, um, I'm about to ask you now because we're going to wrap up. We have so many. I have to have you back because we have so much more to talk to talk about. But yes, skip down to the the end and give us three self-care tips and then tell people on the Internet where they can find you so they can, you know, follow you. And not only that, come to your workshops and build community.
1: So one of the most important, I do, I absolutely, obviously believe that meditation is essential to our, you know, our self-care and our development. And I love baths. I've just always been a bath person. Mm -hmm. So long before I knew about self-care, I was taking baths.
0: baths. (laughs) So
1: those things are wonderful and important. But for me, self-care really looks like self-exploration. Like I can take a million baths, but if I don't love myself and know myself, then it, it's just pointless. Like Mm. baths don't make you love yourself. Mm. Baths don't make you, they might make you feel better for 15 minutes or sleep better that night. But if you wake up the next day and you still haven't looked at anything, then that's just a lot of baths you're going to have to keep taking to brush away the debris of, you know, what you're not willing to look at. Mm. And so I just really feel like self-care for me is not always, but often about self-exploration and doing the work. Doing the work is self-care. That's my biggest gift that I've ever given myself is work. being willing to trust that I could look in dark places and not fall into a dark hole. Mm. And for people who have depression, which and I've, I've battled with depression on and off throughout my life, and depression and anxiety, I think we get scared, rightfully so, to look at, in the dark places. But because I now know myself and I know how resilient I am, and that's the biggest, one of my other favorite memes is someone once gave me a box of darkness. It took me years to understand that too was a gift.
0: Yes. That's by Anne Lamont. I love her. Oh,
1: she's amazing. That changed everything for me. Yes. That man gave me the best gift of my life because I would have been following along, reading Buddhism for him pretending to be somebody I wasn't mm. stuck in a box that he put me in. Mm. And when he hurt me, he set me free. And all the things that I have learned about who I am and all that came out of darkness. Darkness is a gift. Mm. If we don't have to be so scared of it. If you trust yourself, like, and you have to know yourself to trust yourself. And I know now, even though it's still scary, I don't, it's not like I'm above it, but I can stick my foot in the darkness and I can knowing that tomorrow I'm going to be okay. Like I'm going to come back the I'm not going to fall. It's not quicksand. And not to discount people who have like legitimate depression and depression can be quicksand and it can be a really scary dark place that we get stuck in. So in terms of self-care, I would say meditation is so important, looking at our stuff and building a self-care is building a community of people around us mm-hmm. that allow us to look at our things and encourage us and support us while we are looking at our pain. I love that. And who can bring us out of it. So if it is too dark, I can call my girlfriend and she can come over and we can watch some stupid T V show and drink wine <laughs> and I know that like I'm not dying. Yes, you know, ma'am. Yes. And then the other thing that I think is so important, I I practice Buddhism in Los Angeles at a place called Against the Stream, which is like a really kind of alternative Buddhist meditation center. And one guy said, I go to this meeting once a month that's for people of color and allies, and it's a more like engaged Buddhism, like political discussion. And one of the things that he said that I think was so helpful to me, and this is particularly, it's for everybody really, but I think it's important for white people because I have different views on self-care for people of color right now and mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. And so what he said that is applicable to everyone, but I hold really close is that I practice Buddhism or meditation to grow my capacity to fight. It mm-hmm. is not to escape the struggle. Mm. It is so I can struggle more. Mm. And that whatever you're, you know, I love uh, to disconnect from the internet. I love to, you know, be around family and go into nature. Those are the things that, like, make me feel safe and whole. But I can't stay there. Right. I have to go there so I can grow my capacity to come back and re-engage and struggle. And that is the difference is I think I, as a white person, there's that, you know, other thing that's gone viral in the last couple of years that says joy is an act of resistance and i think that's particularly for people of color. Yeah. White girl joy right now is not a thing. <laughs> like this is not a time to be carefree white girl and it doesn't mean drown yourself in white guilt or you know beat yourself up or never go to the beach or never hang out with your son or never disconnect. Like we are all as humans allowed to care for ourselves. Right. And b- broken, depressed, scared, anxious white people are not helpful to the, the movement. So by all means, take care of yourself. But I think, in my opinion, people of color and women of color have a lot more leadway to disengage and protect themselves right now. And so self-care is important for that. And, th- and an example, again, of that in that moment is finding other white women which was very hard for me, but I have done, who are engaging in this. So you don't feel alone and you don't feel like when you're going down the the dark hole of like looking at your privilege and looking at what's going on in the world that you feel just like the other work, you know, it's all connected. It
0: is all connected.
1: so the, we, we're being called to do this work both on personal levels and on political levels. And so create community around you, whether it's online or in person. And for a lot of people, it's going to be online because especially for white women, maybe their mother or their co-workers or whatever are not there yet. Yeah. And so they have to or maybe they live in a small town where people have, you know, Confederate flags in their front yard. So, yeah, you're probably not going to find the camaraderie that you need with your neighbor, but there are people online, you know, engage and support and create a community of support around yourself so you can grow your capacity to do the work.
0: And I, oh, my gosh, on that note, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do in in the world as a mother, as a fellow woman in this work. Thank you for doing women's work and really building community online and offline. And it's been such an honor and pleasure to have you. So please let people know where they can find you on social media.
1: Yes. (laughs) On the gram, I'm Mumu Mansion, M-U-M-U mansion. And I think you can go to mumumansion.com, but my my website is melinda-alexander.com. And that's where you can find out about workshops and doing calls, one-on-one calls. But mainly I'm on the gram. I'm a gram girl. (laughs) And um, so find me there. And disclaimer, I am not great. I don't know how you deal with DMs but I'm I just can't with them, respond so. to most of them. <laughs> so I see them and I appreciate them. And I really, I really do. But if you DM me and I don't get back to you, it's not a personal. So
0: guys, that means a, email because uh, she has email yeah, yeah. on her website. <laughs> yeah. And
1: on the gram, you and know, the gram, the gram takes you to the email. Yes. So the email helps me because then at least when I'm sitting down trying to get back to people, I can find it the dms they get lost and so yeah let's connect and and, you know if you're looking for guidance around love or body image or yeah all of that i do all the things i do women's work so thank you alex i adore you
0: thank you and
1: we'll talk more on season three yes we will yes we will (laughs) thank
0: you melinda (laughs) okay bye girl Bye. bye Hey Girl is a member of the District Productive Network. Produced by Jamie Benson and me, Alex L. Music provided by DC's own Kokai.